Well, good morning. I know it's a uh, travel time of year and uh, lots of other things to do, so I appreciate you coming. And, and uh, we are journeying on. We are uh, two weeks away from being all the way through the book of Exodus. Um, and so uh, I'm excited to kind of uh, work these through these last couple of weeks. And this week we are looking at chapters 25 through chapter 31. Uh, we've, we've kind of journeyed along with the Israelites as they went from uh, enslaved people in Egypt through the Red Sea into the desert. And the last few weeks they've been kind of forming what it is uh, to be their, you know, their community and form what it is the, the people they're going to be. Um, you know, uh, a few weeks ago, I traveled to Nebraska, and I had a little trip, and I was uh, over there in Nebraska, like, meeting with another pastor for one of the things that we had going on with our denomination, and um, I was in north, uh, north central Nebraska, about 10 miles from the South Dakota border, and you know what that means? That means... There's about seven people in like the entire zip code. Um, and so I was driving back and we had meetings all day and I was driving back around six o'clock at night and um, all of a sudden I felt a thunk, 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 and I looked back and I had a flat tire. So I pulled over to the side of the road and um, there was no real good place to pull over. I was like, oh man, I'm gonna be in the middle of traffic. I pulled over and I was like, looked around, Nobody, nobody in sight. I was like, I think I'm okay. Uh, changed the tire and got on my cell phone like I would normally and say, where's the closest place that I can get this tire changed? And um, with a, barely any cell phone service, I kind of figured it looks like the best place is about 100 miles away. And the roads were awful. No one in sight. And so I was like trying to Google search and say, how long will a spare tire last on a bad road and all this different stuff? I decided I better drive slow because I don't have a second spare tire, uh, but I got 100 miles to go. So I started driving and every little bump along the way, I was like, you know, feeling every bump and I was afraid the thing was going to explode and I was all worried and I was going really slow and I just kind of rolled down my window. I was going like 30 miles an hour and no one in sight. I drove. It took me three hours to get to my destination. Uh, because I was driving about 30, 35 miles an hour, and no cars passed me for three hours. And I'm thinking as I'm driving along, I'm looking around, and I'm looking at just fields and fields and no uh, human civilization in sight. I'm thinking in my mind, if something happens right now, they will find me six months later just sitting in my car and no one will ever know. I mean, like maybe my family might like say, oh, he was supposed to be home, but, but nobody will ever know. And like it felt really kind of weird. And I, was, I began thinking about like those uh, early pioneers who were going around and, uh, and traveling and things like that. And it felt very lonely. And you felt very vulnerable that if one thing goes wrong, this could get ugly very quickly. Well, 
Today we're going to talk about the reality that the Israelites are in after they get out of Egypt and they're really, they're in the desert. And you have to think about, um, you know, we have, a, we've criticized them throughout our series for grumbling and complaining and sometimes even looking back to the time where they were enslaved and saying that would be nice. But imagine being in Egypt and at least when you're growing up looking at pyramids and looking at the mighty army and looking at all this civilization and at least feeling like, well, I, I, I have like a pretty mighty group of people here and I have a little bit of a safety net, a little civilization, and then being out in the wilderness. Think about kind of those pictures right there that have been part of our icons for the series. Like going, yes, yes, they were in the desert in, in Egypt around, you know, that area, but it was a civilized place and there was civilization. And now they're marching out into nowhere land. That had to feel a little awkward, a little lonely, a little difficult. And to compound that, if you think about life in that era and in that time, you must have had lots of time to think and lots of time to reflect. Um, I was talking to somebody this week that said, hey, did your power go out? Our power went out for a couple of hours. And like, if the power goes out in my home in the evening uh, at my house, it's like, what? We can't get on the internet? We can't watch TV for a couple of hours? What are we going to do? Are we going to have to talk to one another? What in the world are we going to do for a couple of hours? And that, it feels weird. I mean, imagine being out, wandering, out of civilization, kind of vulnerable in a place that is, you know, just out there with nothing for all this time. Yes, you came out, and yes, you know, know that God did amazing things, but it could feel very lonely. And there's times in your life, and there's times in all of our lives, where you feel alone. You feel like God is not there. God takes some deliberate steps and specific actions to make it crystal clear that the people would understand God is there with them. And so this is what God does about this. And this is uh, one of those uh, you know, topics we're kind of flying through the book of Exodus. And you could spend a significant amount of time on some of the symbolism that we're going to look at today. But we're going to go through it quickly because uh, for the sake of time. But, but God does something dramatic. And we'll see right here why he does it. Exodus 25 verse 1 says this. The Lord says to Moses, said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering from me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and, and another type of durable leather, a cave. See a wood, I don't know, olive oil for the light, spices for anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted um, on the ephod and breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. And so, this is what the, the scripture tells us is that these 
we've had in the last couple of weeks seen like kind of the things that have started to form the community, started to form God's people. Some of those things are they had to kind of organize themselves. They had to decide on how they're going to uh, like abide with one another, what laws they're going to follow, how they're going to treat one another. And now God is putting something in place and it says specifically, I will dwell with them. I will be there with you. To be alone and feel like you're on your own is probably one of the worst feelings in the world. There's stories about people when they went, uh, the first people to take actual pictures of the earth from outer space. Some people had reactions. This is going to scare people a little bit. Because when you look at the world kind of just hung in suspension in outer space and look at the vastness of the universe, it starts to like come into focus. Wow, we are just kind of dangling out there in the middle of nowhere. Kind of crazy, kind of scary. If it's just emptiness and open space and nothing out there, that is terrifying, right? And that is kind of the predicament that the universe is in. Unless we know God is with us. And, and no matter how strong, no matter how inventive and how, um, how brave you are, the reality of the vulnerability of our lives in this world without God should terrify all of us. And so God says, you, I want you to bring, it says it in kind of a couple of phases. It says first, the first thing is, Bring me an offering. So bring me what you have. There's all these things that we plundered from the Egyptians. Bring it. We're going to do something about it. We're going to reform that. We're going to melt down that gold. We're going to make it into something different and new. And it's going to be a different and new picture. And you're going to know and understand I am with you. So bring it. Bring what you have. Bring your offering. Bring your gift. The community come together and do that. And that's, that's almost always how it starts. At church world today, we have, you know, building projects and things like that. And, and you know, this past uh, weekend, we had an opportunity to be a part of our annual meetings for all of our churches in this part of the world, uh, in the Wesleyan Church. And uh, there was so much reflection on, you know, this church building was here because people 40 years earlier like made a decision for that, you know, and made, made those sacrifices and brought their offerings and paid the way. And look at what all is to come because of that, because everybody brought what they had and was willing to give it to God. And that's how it starts. These are things that probably were used by the Egyptians in pagan ways. And they were melted down and used for God's purposes and changed and reformed and redeemed. And if you think about kind of the picture of how these people grew up, they grew up and they were used to big, elaborate, amazing spectacles to honor the gods, right? People still visit them today, the Great Pyramids. And God shows up and says, yes, I will dwell among you, but it won't be the same. It will be different. It'll be particular. But you will know that I am there. And that's how God relates to the people in this time and era who are used to seeing giant spectacles uh, of, to the gods, the false gods. 
But still, that's, the, that's where they come from. And so the people bring their offering and give what they have freely. And they give, and they're not compelled to. They're just, they, they give what they're willing to give. And amazingly, it is enough. And God says, make a sanctuary for me. A sanctuary. And that's an interesting word that we even carry on today. And mostly it's heard in church circles. That the word is kind of, you know, the sanctuary is a picture of a place of refuge. A place that there may be a storm all around, but in this place there is peace. In this place, God's presence resides. There's even been throughout history times and eras where wars are going on outside of church buildings and people come into the church to find sanctuary because that's a place where war will not happen. And this is kind of, this is the picture and this is the, the, the image that is given. And you think about safety, you think about peace, you think about salvation, you think about a refuge for the people that God says, build a sanctuary. And the end result of that is, I will dwell among you. I will be there. Now, undoubtedly, God was there. And I believe God is always there. But undoubtedly, we forget, right? And we need to know that. And we need pictures. And we need images. And uniquely, sometimes, God is crystal clear. And we are in focus. And we know he is right there with us. And this is a place that God specially and uniquely anoints to make that clear to the people. And be a demonstration uh, beyond even them that God is with the people there. And so they build this tabernacle. And this is the beginning of something that is still like uh, talked about and discussed today. The tabernacle was kind of a mobile temple. And it was something that could be moved and things like that because that was the time and era they were in. They were traveling to their destined promised land. And eventually what would take place through David and Solomon generations later is that they would build a temple that would be a permanent structure that would be the center of worship and their life. But for this point in time, they have a mobile tabernacle that can move as they travel along in their journeys. And it can be the center of knowing that God is with us. God will dwell with us. And so I want to just kind of look at some of the some of the um, dynamics of what God says to do. In the, in the following chapters, God gives precision details on what's to be done. In our modern world and in our time, it seems kind of irrelevant. It kind of almost feels like, like an architect going through detailed specs of exactly what is going to take place in the building and kind of uh, it's easy for our eyes to glaze over and just say, well, whatever, does that really matter or not? It seems very particular, though. And a lot of things that are designed here are to be specifically communicate what God is doing in that time and into the future. And so let, let's kind of look at the, how the tabernacle is set up and the design of that, and, and you can see... Um, Kind of how God is demonstrating and communicating uh, a lot of things about himself. So if you put up that picture um, of kind of the outline here of the tabernacle. Um, and this is um, 
what God talks about and specifically says to do and gives them specific dimensions on all of these things for the tabernacle. And you'll see there's kind of three sections, three main sections. There's an outer courtyard, there's the holy place, and then there's the most holy place. And then there's seven or six pieces of furniture that are kind of throughout these different areas. And um, there is a flow to this, and there's a message to all of these things as it goes through. Um, You see, uh, the entrance is where, you know, those Israelites could walk in and come in, the people who are chosen by God. And it's right there when you walk in front and center through the entrance, you can see on the east side right there. You walk up and you walk in and immediately you're confronted with this altar for burnt offerings. And that is where you start. And this is kind of the message that is communicated. And we see more and more even throughout the scripture. Is when you enter into a relationship with God. The beginning of that is offering your sacrifices and repenting of your sins. Coming to that place and you enter and you physically go to that altar and confess your sins. And there's a sacrifice made on behalf because of what you have done. That's how we start. That's how the, it, the start of the relationship goes. As we walk into God and say, God, I'm sorry. God, come into my life. God, forgive me. God, I repent of my sins. And that's how we initiate a relationship with God. An awareness of our sin and our need for God's presence. And so that's how it starts. That's the, that's the first, uh, first place. And the outer courtyard area is for all of those Israelites to come. And it was a busy place with lots of activity. And they were coming and they were offering their sacrifice. Um, in the outer courtyard beyond the altar is, is this, this bronze basin or kind of a bowl with water. And this is where you would wash your hands and symbolically be cleansed. Be cleansed from the dirty task of uh, uh, offering up your sacrifice and offering up those things. And it's, so it's, it's kind of in that moment you can think about in our modern world like that kind of baptism moment where we're washed and we are cleansed. And that picture is crystal clear that like, you know what, what I have done, what I have confessed and the sins that I have like uh, offered up to God are washed away. I am clean. And then the next, uh, next place is the holy place. The holy place was reserved for the priests. And the priests went on behalf of the people, the people that were appointed. And they were the ones that went into this holy place. And there's three of the uh, three kind of furniture items in the holy place. Uh, first of all, there's a golden lampstand. And the lampstand is, is going and is burning oil and lights up the room. And you look to and you think about all the pictures throughout Scripture where even Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I bring light to dark places. I give you a path to follow. And that light is burning constantly in the holy place. And on the other side is a table 
of showbread. And it's, there's bread that is there that, that cares for the needs of the priest, but also is a picture and a demonstration of the needs that God provides for us and takes care of us. And then there's an altar of incense where there's scents that are coming up. And uh, probably, can you imagine walking into that place and immediately being struck by that, by, that, uh, by that smell and that tangible feeling of this is a place of worship. This is a holy place. God's presence is here. And so it's kind of, if, if we go through the flow of what's going on here, as you enter physically into the entrance, you confess your sins as you go to the altar. You are cleansed at the, um, at the basin. You come into the holy place, and it's where you really worship God. And you're thanking God for all that God has done. And then there's one more room beyond that, which is the most holy place, or the holy of holies. And this location was extremely unique in that only the high priest could enter into this room one time a year um, to offer, uh, to be into the real presence of God. And inside is the Ark of the Covenant. And in this place, it's kind of like a terrifying, amazing, unbelievable, otherworldly place that you enter into. And it's like, I am standing in the presence of God in this moment. And I think, I think the reason it's so exclusive and it's so unique is that I think it gives us and it points us to an encounter with God that is like beyond this world and beyond this life that is really like a picture of heaven. Really a picture of the afterlife. It's looking towards you know what? There may be times where we encounter and we're starting to experience and we're starting to know God, but there's something more that is to come that is beyond this that we'll fully experience and know what God is really, uh, really like only in the true presence of God, which is, which is the picture of heaven, living with God where sin is gone and you're in the presence of the Almighty. So this picture is giving people a picture. And as they walk through, they're starting to learn and they're starting to feel and they're actually experiencing tangibly what God is saying he's doing in this world. And he is and, and remember back to what he's saying. This is what you will know. I will dwell among you. I will be there with you. I will be right there with you. And so even though this seems like such a foreign thing, such a distant thing, such an odd and unusual place that is kind of otherworldly, I think that's kind of the point. That you walk into a place that all of a sudden you realize this is different. And as God was demonstrating exactly how everything should be laid out, it goes down to every detail of like how, like what fabric is used. What like detail is it going to look like on the Ark of the Covenant with like uh, angels, gold, golden angels that are de decorating the Ark of the Covenant? What, is, what should people wear when they enter in there? Because it's an experience that if you walked in there and you live in, to put up the picture of that desert again, if you live in this world, uh, this desert world right here, the other one. 
Thanks for the sound effects, though. Um, uh, if you walk into this desert world, can you imagine living in this world right here and walking into this place of color and um, all of these decorations? It's like you walked into a different universe. I remember talking to several of my friends that were um, over in Afghanistan and Iraq. And they were shipped over there and they said when they returned, the one thing that was weird was everything was like an HD. Because they'd been living in a place like this for months and that's, it's kind of like everything was almost just, just tan. And they walked back into the world and it was like color and it was like a new day. It was like flipping from black and white to color. And that must have been what the people felt like when they walked into that place and they were like, wow, this is something different. Now, this is the picture that God gives them. And in our world where we have our our cable TV and we get frustrated when it goes out for an hour, and in our world where we have anything that can entertain us and can focus our attention um, on other things, this maybe wouldn't be as spectacular to us. But what God is demonstrating is something that I think we all need to grasp. Is that the presence of God is a different worldly place. And if we walk and, and if we walk in our if we have our life where we just continue to, to kind of live in this place where it's it's just about all these other things, there's going to be a point in time where we come to the realization that we are very, very alone. And it's very scary and it's difficult. And God gives them a picture of something else. So today in our world, we don't have this tabernacle, but we have the same message. You understand all of these things come through all throughout the scripture. And there's been hundreds and hundreds of different pictures that people have have demonstrated over the years at, at giving more layers to the symbols and said, hey, this represents this and this represents this and this represents this. And we could go into that, but just get the big picture of salvation that God is demonstrating to the people that this is what we're going for. And to walk in and get to a place where you really have the presence of God and you know you're in the presence of God is something... That, that, that takes a little bit of an effort. It takes a little bit of a, of a movement. It, it's an important thing that takes place. How sad would it be if we are people in this modern era and day where we just never even kind of enter into this kind of mystical, otherworldly place where we never walk in? Do you realize that we have an opportunity when we walk through these doors of this public school to kind of kind of physically almost do have this experience ourselves? That we have an opportunity that the whole world is going crazy all over the place. The whole world has all kinds of things. It is scary, it is dangerous, it is kind of lonely, and we have an opportunity to physically walk in to the presence of God. And as the scripture unfolds, what Jesus says, and he uses these words very specifically, he says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I have done something different and unique that now I have come and what I've done is offered you an opportunity to walk 
into that, like, walk through this place right up into the presence of God because, you know what, the Holy Spirit will dwell inside of you. The people here were terrified and mystified and this was crazy stuff and they couldn't even imagine walking into the Holy of Holies. Only one person could do it once a year. And Jesus comes and says, I've given you an opportunity to be in my presence and experience and taste the presence of God. And sometimes what we've done is we're like, eh, not that big of a deal. And how sad. How sad. God is demonstrating and painting a picture of something supernatural, otherworldly, and big. And in your life, uh, there, you will kind of stay at a tame place, kind of a tame Christianity, a tame existence with your relationship with God. If you're, if you're not willing to kind of take those steps towards the presence of God. To walk into a place that is deeper. And, and it's easy to do. And it's easy to kind of keep God. It's kind of easy to stay maybe on that outer courtyard area. Away from like kind of the deep waters of a relationship with God. And that's a shame. Because we're physical beings. And what we know is the tangible. And what we know and experience is kind of day to day life. And kind of this existence. But God was painting a picture of something otherworldly. Something bigger, something deeper, something that is, that, that is beyond. A picture of heaven. And God's inviting us to walk into that place. And to be with God. I think it is only in these moments when you walk in beyond the outer courtyard and you start to walk in and experience and feel and know who God is that you can kind of really get a picture of what this universe is like. You know, on the outer courtyard in that area, you know, it, it's easy to kind of, kind of be consumed with the things of this world, kind of be captivated by sin. Be captivated by these other directions that the world would take us. Inside the presence of God, sin cannot exist. And in that place, when you get into that Holy of Holies and you get close into the presence of God, sin cannot exist. That's why the priests, when they walked into the Holy of Holies, they tied a rope to them in case there was sin in their life. And if they had sin in that presence of God in that moment... They would drop down. They would die. And there was a symbol that God used that says, in my presence, sin cannot exist. Sin cannot be present. And can you imagine that world in that place where sin is gone? We can't imagine it because we watch the news and we experience it and we deal with it. and We deal with all the problems of this world. But in that place, sin is gone and empty in a way. You know, I hope that we get to a place in our spiritual life where the picture that God paints us is more compelling than the picture that the world paints us. That the picture of the world kind of gives us this image that this is what life, this is life in full color. This is life that is kind of exciting. This is life that, that, that you were meant to live. 
And kind of almost what our world has told us or our culture has told us is that like sin is the most interesting. Sin is the most exciting. And what you kind of do if you want to follow God is kind of just you kind of resist all the good stuff in life. And you, what you do then is you just you, you, you grit it out and you do the tough, boring stuff to try to follow God. A sinless life. How miserably boring. That's almost the picture sometimes we gravitate towards. But in God's presence, there is an understanding that this picture is so much more compelling than anything else. I can imagine an overwhelming feeling of love. I've had glimpses of it, and I wouldn't say that maybe I feel like I haven't walked into the Holy of Holies, but maybe I've kind of taken a glimpse and caught a little bit of the incense of the holy place before in my life in just little pictures, just moments in time. You know, like this is a weird one, but one of the, one of the gr- couple of great moments in my life. And these are, it's weird because it's just, it's almost like a little snapshot that goes away so quickly because this world comes crashing in again. But about a year ago, what would happen is I'd walk home from school every day. I, you know, live right in the neighborhood and I'd walk home from my day job and my son would jump the fence and I would walk around and my son would go and let our dog out and he would come out and he would always race the dog in him would race to kind of catch me and greet me for the day. And you know what? That 10 seconds of them kind of both running in joy and like was the best point of my day. It was weird. But I just saw like I just felt overwhelmed with, with love. And my simple little dog that you know has a pea brain and can articulate it, it's just kind of almost in some way the simplest picture of love, right? And my son kind of laughing and everybody laughing. And at that moment, I wasn't thinking about any of my to-do lists. I wasn't thinking about anything else. I just felt an overwhelming feeling of like love and gratitude in those like 10 seconds. And then I'd walk in my house and I'd have dishes to do and all that other stuff. I remember another moment where I was uh, driving in the middle of nowhere. Weird things happened to me in the middle of Nebraska. But I, I was driving... And I was in the middle of nowhere, and I was coming back from visiting our church that is in Nebraska, um, our satellite church that we helped start in McCook, Nebraska. And their services get out like 8, and so I was driving at like 11 o'clock at night. And uh, it was so in the middle of nowhere, we looked up, and the, and, the, and the stars were out like crazy. And it was one of those blood moon days. And so I, we pulled over the car, me and a friend of mine that was with us, and my son— And we sat on the hood of the car and shut off the lights, and it was the most brilliant sky I've ever seen in my life. And you could just see it like all – like the shape of the Milky Way galaxy all across the the landscape and the blood red moon, and it was amazing. And in that moment, it was like, wow. And it was overwhelming. I remember one time I went to a camp experience with a group of kids. And we went camping and had a little retreat, and I was the leader, and we went, and there was this little place that if you hiked up the way, and you just went um, uh, a little way, ways away from civilization, there was this little, little kind of, uh, 
just place you could sit with rocks and we were doing a little service and I remember uh, walking to that place and you have these goofy kids that are driving you crazy and doing all kinds of things and we're walking and all of a sudden it hit us all at the same moment just like the beauty of the stars in that moment and just the little acoustic guitar playing in the background and we were worshiping God. It was beautiful. I remember when I was in Haiti one time, and I, I know I've told some of these things before, but I was in Haiti, and we were, we were in a, on a mission trip, and we were, we were there, and there was a service that was going on, and we were singing songs, and all of a sudden the power went out, and it goes out a lot in Haiti, and it was pitch black, and nobody missed a beat, and they just kept playing the songs, and, the, and all the Americans were like, oh! What's going on? Well, let's go fix it. And none of the Haitians missed a beat. They just kept singing along. And all of a sudden, just the lights went out. And, all, and it was just all, all like, um, just voices. They were amplified. And we were worshiping God and looking up. And it was like, wow, in this moment. So there's these pictures. And there's these moments in time where all of a sudden, the, the, the images that we think are the compelling things become really, really small. And I'm, I'm ashamed to say that there's, I wish I had more moments that I could share about that, but the, sometimes they're really elusive for me. But what God was saying, and God was trying to paint a picture with these people, is he was saying that an encounter with me puts everything else to shame, that it makes it feel so small. You have to understand that I am the creator of this universe. And when you start to glimpse what it is that I created you for, everything else is small. And so God is deliberate in making these elaborate plans and all of this stuff to demonstrate to the people, I will dwell among you, is what it says. And we live in a wonderful time where God says, you can experience and know the presence of God. There is um, a place, like I said, you can stay. Where it's all peripheral, it's all intellectual. And I don't think you can quite experience God in that way. You can't fully experience God in that way. Because the reality is, is God is beyond that. God is spirit and God is truth. And so how I want to uh, conclude our time this morning is just take a moment and open yourselves up to worship God. And you know what? If you need to walk through kind of this tabernacle picture that we have here, if you need to walk through it, maybe you do to prepare yourselves that at the front that you say, God, I confess my sins to you. I open myself up. I confess my sins to you. I want to be cleansed and washed free of my sins. And God, help me to walk in and just see the lights lit up, the bread you provided. Smell that incense and understand you are close by. And experience and walk into potentially... Just a little picture, a little snapshot of an encounter with the creator of the universe. You can close yourselves off, and I know it's elusive, and I know it's hard. But it's possible to open yourself up and say, God, let me experience life in HD the way you intended. 